0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't already, go check out lacrossefootwear.com. They obviously have a lot of rubber boots, hunting boots that you can choose from, but specifically, I want you guys to take a look at the Alpha Burley Pro. Uh, one reason specifically that I like this boot, actually, it's two different reasons but one main reason is that in the past all my rubber boots have been sloppy right they're basically just waterproofing uh, and they're hard to walk in especially long distances now with the Alpha Alphabrilli Pro you slide your heel in and you have the ability to tighten around the calf as well so all that kind of locks your foot into place and what you have is uh, a rubber boot now that is easy to be mobile in. And with their insulation options, it keeps your feet warm and dry as well. So if you haven't yet, I need you to go to lacrossefootwear.com, check out the Alpha Burley Pro today. Welcome to
1: the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation and now here's your nine fingered host dan johnson
0: happy hump day everyone i don't know why i laugh i'm in a room by myself Uh, It's my office slash baby nursery, but I always get the giggles when I do these introductions. And it's because I think I get a little fired up for all of this podcasting that I'm doing because I get to do what I love to do, and that is talk and talk about deer hunting. And it's that time of year, right? I mean, this is launching October 24th, and there's one thing that's uh, starting to creep up on us, and it's the rut right and from now until the first week of november is that pre-rut time frame and this is when all of a sudden you're going to be sitting in your tree stand and you're going to be glassing or something or maybe you'll blind call or whatever and out of nowhere pops up the biggest buck you've ever seen Uh, That's not typical, but this is that time where the big boys start getting on their feet. The mature bucks are out looking for that very first doe. And as we all know, the does control everything. They control everything. And if you can get this time of year, if you can find a hot doe, the first hot doe, uh, and you can set up on her, then you're going to see a buck. A buck come through whether it's a small one chasing her or a big one coming after her uh, or it's all done nocturnal shit I don't know but it's that time of year where everything is starting to kick off and if you can find that first doe then you're gonna find a lot of bucks following her that's the trigger that's the flip right that we all that light switch that we all want that kicks off the the rut and it's that first doe and I've said that a lot. I've repeated myself a, a lot. And uh, I tell you what, today's podcast is going to be an awesome podcast. And we're going to be talking with Brian McCammon from Indiana. And basically, we're going to be doing a BS session slash hunter profile podcast about where he hunts, how he hunts in Indiana. And you know, I don't think we've had a lot of guys on the show from Indiana, but today's podcast is going to check that box. Before we get into the podcast, though, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now, I am a huge fan of Ozonics. You guys know this. I'm a huge fan of ozone technology and how it is used to basically eliminate odors on your clothing and in the tree stand. So if you haven't had the opportunity to go check out what Ozonics is all about and what they do and how it can help you be more successful in, in the timber, here's what you need to do. First, you need to go visit OzonicsHunting.com, check out all the products that they offer. They have a lot of information about how Ozone works, how their products works, and how it can benefit you. Then, if you do decide to purchase an HR300 or any of their other units, all you have to do is enter the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and then you will be able to get a dry wash bag for free with a purchase of one of their units, right? You get the dry wash bag for free after you enter that discount code. So you buy one of the units, you enter the discount code, and the dry wash bag is added to your order for free. So take advantage of that, OzonicsHunting.com. Now let's get into today's Hunter Profile Podcast with Brian McCammon. Three two one all right on the phone with me right now mr brian mccannon how you doing man
1: oh not bad how about you
0: wait i think i said your name wrong right is it mccant
1: you McC- did but that's all right i'll let it slide. <laughs>
0: tell me okay so it's brian what we got to say it right it's mccammon mccannon's in the
1: middle okay yep, that's McCammon. right
0: sometimes i just don't get it you know what i mean Oh, uh, that's all right. all right so You're on the podcast today, and today we're going to do a little bit of a hunter profile podcast mixed with a BS session, whatever, Uh, just kind of one of those shoot from the hip podcasts that I always do. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you do for a living?
1: Uh, I live in a little town called, well, I live out in the country near Fairbanks, Indiana, which is about 15, 20 miles south of Terre Haute, which is west central Indiana. Okay. And for for a living, I am a timber buyer for a sawmill in Terre Haute. Oh, cool. Did you know
0: that I almost became a timber buyer before the job that I have now? Uh, one of my buddy's stepdads, his family runs a timber like a sawmill and they have timber buyers Uh that go out and he wanted to train me on going out and, you know, basically doing estimates on properties of what tree values are and all that stuff. So, so that's cool. I mean, um, so the, from what I understand, you're outside a lot.
1: Oh yeah. About every day,
0: every day. Now here's the question I have for you. If I was in that job, I'd be talking to the landowners Every landowner that I was on, aw- being, "Hey man, you mind if I hunt your property?" Do you do that?
1: I don't typically because I've got decent hunting ground close to home and that's where I just I prefer to not have to drive too far, so. Gotcha. Okay. All right.
0: But what what but hap-
1: I get I get that question a lot though. So
0: what ha- I'm going to throw a curveball at you. What happens if you're out okay. there, you're, you know, you're doing an estimate and all of a sudden you stumble upon this like 100 inch side shed of this buck who's going to be like 200 inches. Do you see if you can hunt that property, or do you just you just ignore it?
1: Uh, I've never had that happen. I've found some nice sheds while working. Um, usually, I pick them up and then ask the landowner if I can keep them, uh, which most of them will let you do. Um. But yeah, if I found a hundred incher, I would be pretty tempted to try to get permission <laughs> to do it. Yeah, that would <laughs> that'd be, be uh, you'd be that'd be crazy lot. not to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's cool, man. Um, so you do your you go in and they say yes or no, we accept your offer, and then the the chainsaws and bat uh, and I don't know bulldozers come in and take down the trees, and then you take them back to a sawmill and cut them up.
1: Yep, make them into lumber. So my job is to buy timber standing ahead of three logging crews, and then I kind of help coordinate those crews as to what jobs they're moving to and where they're working next, and making sure everything's going all right in the woods. And so yeah, I'm pretty much in the woods every day. Cool.
0: I tell you what, there's is is there ever a bad day in
1: the woods? Uh, when it's really hot and humid and the spider webs are bad. That's about as bad as it gets. <laughs> I I love I, that. I, Oh, I can man. tolerate the cold, the zero, all that that's no problem, but when it's really hot and humid and there's lots of cobwebs, then it's kind of miserable, but I still it's better than sitting in an office looking out a window, wishing I was outside, I guess absolutely man. uh,
0: do you get poison ivy?
1: I do not terribly. I get a little bit, but not not really bad, and I get it every summer, you know, doing what I do, so yeah, but it's not bad. The worst part's the chiggers and uh the ticks, you know in the summertime, yeah, oh man. I don't
0: know, man. I get poison ivy really, really bad. So even Uh, when I'm out checking my trail cameras in the summer, I'm long sleeves, head to toe, you know, something around my (laughs) neck. I got a hat on. It's just, man, I get
1: it real bad. Yeah. It's probably a good thing you're not a timber buyer. Yeah.
0: Yep. That's probably God put me in this cubicle for a reason. So I don't, I don't know why, (laughs) but he did. But anyway, that's right. I put a, a message out on Facebook and I said, you know, do you know someone who would be a good uh, a good guest on the podcast? Basically, I was looking for listeners or followers to nominate someone they knew. And it's your right. buddy Doug, right? Yep. Yep. Your buddy Doug sent me a message, said, hey, man, you got to get a hold of this guy. He's, uh, he's a pretty successful hunter out of Indiana. And uh, long story short, here we are. Um, and the first question that I have for you is, you mentioned your, you said you're south of Terre Haute, right? Yes. Okay. So, describe the the terrain features in that part of the state.
1: Um, it's excuse me, it's uh pretty mild. There's there's really not any big steep hills around here. You got to get down in the southern part of the state to get into those. So, um, in steep country around where I live and hunt. Uh, a hill that's 50 or 60 foot tall is a pretty big one. (laughs) They don't, they don't, if there's not a lot of terrain feature, you know, big terrain features. Um, and then West of where I live is the Wabash river. I only live about six miles from the river and you know, there's a pretty good sized river bottom down there. That's just flat as a pancake. So,
0: okay. And then that's for the most part, that's where you hunt on farms that are, is it mostly ag?
1: Yeah, there's a pretty fair percentage of it's ag. So it's, there's a few bigger wood blocks here and there, and uh, I own some ground that happens to be in one of those bigger wood blocks with a little bit of ag on it. But for the most part, a lot of the farms are mostly ag with a little bit of woods here and there.
0: Okay. So, and that it's coming up on that time right now where I don't know about you, but. Typically in Iowa, this time of year, they're starting to take the crops out, and I mean working all night trying to get the crops out. Right now, right. we have really wet ground, so that slowed the uh, the the harvest this year. But yep. is there a huge change? And this is a question I actually like to ask a lot of hunters with with a heavy ag right and little little timber. Is there a huge shift in deer movement? when the when the crops start to come out
1: there is definitely especially in the areas that are mostly ag you know when when the crops come out all their cover's gone so they have to go to the smaller woodlots um the area where i own my land is like i said it's a bigger block of timber so i don't see it quite as drastically there um the surrounding areas you definitely see some and then um uh, there's a few areas where it's just smaller blocks scattered around so we've known of deer that have moved you know a mile or two after the crops come out right um just to find cover and probably pressure helps move them around in them smaller woodlots as well
0: right right so as far as the properties that you hunt i think Uh i heard you say that you own a piece of property yes how many acres do you own
1: I own 70 acres.
0: Okay. And is that where you do most of your hunting, or do you bounce around to several different pieces?
1: I've just got that that I own, and then I've got another piece of property in the river bottoms that's uh, 150 acres of WRP, um i'm pretty much between those two i guess next to the property i own i also lease 70 acres right next door so there's 140 there and then 150 in the river bottoms and that's primarily the only two pieces of property i deer hunt gotcha
0: so on your river bottom piece i i hunt a uh-huh. it's not necessarily a big river bottom i call it river bottom ground because it's flat and there's a, a creek that runs through it but uh-huh is you, of all those places the the 140 up top or the river bottom ground the 150 is there a is there a preferred uh, spot or like you hunt early season in one spot and then you save another piece for the rut or do you just kind of bounce back and forth until you're you find what you're looking for
1: um I seldom hunt the river bottom part early simply because it's a hundred acres of WRP with like um pretty narrow band of timber all the way around it, bigger timber. And I don't hunt in the WRP cause that's just thick and nasty and that's where the deer stay. So I just hunt the outskirts. So I pretty much wait for the rut and catch the, just hunt. It's basically a big circle, you know, really. And I just hunt the downwind side and wait on the bucks to cruise the edges in I the rut it. there. My, my farm is where I do most of my early season hunting cause I've got some food plots and, um, Just makes it a little easier when they're coming to a constant food source. Of course, I've not been super successful early, but I see some deer. I just haven't killed any early. So
0: gotcha. So this uh, this piece of property, what is WRP? Explain
1: is that that's the wetland reserve program. Oh, cool. So it used to be used to be farmland, and then I think this piece of property I hunt in 2003 or four, they planted it to trees. And then of course you get a lot of natural regeneration with the soft maples and cottonwoods. Mostly what they planted was pecans and oaks, bottomland oaks and stuff. So now it's just it's a hundred acres of thicket, really. Awesome. And it's
0: that's their that's their quote unquote sanctuary.
1: Pretty much, because I don't go in there unless I'm tracking a deer or occasionally if it's getting down to the end of our bow season before our gun season starts and I gotta pretty good wind i'll slip in there with a set of rattling horns and find a few openings that are in there and rattle them, just see if i can pull something in which i've killed a few bucks that way too so
0: right but that's kind of like a, a last attempt right
1: last attempt before the gun season opens and then you know otherwise i stay out of it unless i'm shed hunting in the winter time or tracking a deer gotcha do you do you gun hunt I do. Um, if I have to, we can only kill one buck here in Indiana, and for the most part, I've been fortunate enough to be done with a uh, with my buck hunting by the time gun season starts. So, okay, I've not had to break it out too many times.
0: So, what's the in the specific areas that you hunt? Let's talk a little bit about the deer numbers and the deer quality, the buck quality
1: specifically. Okay, excuse me. Uh, the river bottom ground deer numbers are oh fair fair to good if uh on a normal rut sit if I sit all day, I may see you know anywhere from six to ten bucks, okay uh, different bucks cruising around maybe up to fifteen, just been on the day doe wise uh, a few years ago we had a pretty significant coyote problem down there, and for a few years, I saw near to zero. Uh, fawn recruitment in the fall so since then we've worked on the coyotes pretty hard and it's getting a lot better but uh the deer numbers were okay down there now where i own my property uh, we have a very probably too much of a deer herd it's a very balanced herd there's bucks to does if if i keep track which i have the past couple years on adult does versus antlered bucks not counting fawns it's pretty close to a one to one and a half ratio okay so the 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 herd balance is very good, but we've just got way too many deer. So, right Um, this year, I'm me and a few of the neighbors are going to try to work on thinning them out a little, which means taking does and bucks as well. But that's what we're going to try to do. Gotcha.
0: So, for the most part, if you go out, you're going to see deer, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Without without a doubt, hunted Saturday morning, which only saw one buck Saturday morning. Just a little three pointer, and I saw probably twenty does that morning wow
0: okay so let's talk a little bit about quality what's like what's a good representation of a buck in your area
1: um a good representation there's been a few killed around uh, my area that have been well, the biggest thing think of was 203 which is pretty abnormal if if you can kill a buck in the 140s or 150s you're doing pretty good uh the potential for him to get to bigger is there just normally they it's hard to get them into the four and a half five and a half year old range a, a really good three year old something that's got potential to be one sixty one seventy you know as a five year old normally they're big enough most people won't pass them so they'll end up killing
0: them. right right so is a th- like that is there an average harvest in the area that you think I mean are people shooting I well I, sh- I should back up and I should ask you. In your neighborhood specifically, I mean, are you in communication uh-huh. with your neighbors about, hey, what is what What should we kill, or is it kind of an every man for himself type deal?
1: Uh, a few of the neighbors I do talk to, um, they're most for the most part not as hardcore as I am as far as wanting to kill just a big buck, uh, at least an old mature buck. A lot of them, uh, like I say, a really good three-year-old they'll take. There's a couple that are pretty close to what I am. Um, and then I've got a few neighbors around, you know, in the same general area that pretty much if it's a two-year-old deer, they'll kill it. Not all of them, but it's, it, it gets difficult to get a, a a really good buck up to four or five years old. Gotcha.
0: So it's not necessarily managed, but it's not necessarily, you know, if, if it's brown, it's down, right?
1: Right. It's somewhere in the middle.
0: Okay, perfect. Now, yeah. for you on the properties that you hunt what is your goal
1: every year my goal is at least a four-year-old um that i think would go in the 140s or better uh if if there's a four-year-old that's a homebody and i think i can possibly keep him to five i would contemplate letting him go but on 70 acres it's hard to keep a buck on 70 acres so it's it's hard to hard to do but my goal is a if I had it my way, it'd be five and a half or older, and you know, right. whatever his antlers are. But pretty much for the most part, four 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 and a half year old, 140 and better is kind of what I'm looking for. Gotcha.
0: How long has that been your goal? How many years?
1: Uh, probably five now. I've been in that kind of neighborhood as far as what I'm looking for. All right.
0: And have you been successful with that goal?
1: Uh, pretty much. I killed, the last three years I've killed one of my target bucks that were uh one was 157 gross the other was 155 and then the buck i killed last year was six and a half years old and he only measured 128 but <laughs> he's just we called him a turd he was he was the turd so
0: but i bet you he had a big body
1: yeah he was pretty good so and he was on my own ground which makes it good and he had a about a six inch mane down the back of his neck so he's very identifiable and i got a shed off of him from last year i believe and Cool. So yeah, it was, it was cool.
0: Cool. So, so on the properties that you hunt, you're able to consistently reach that goal of like a four year old or older, 140 or over.
1: Pretty consistently. Um, I've, I had a two year spell there where I didn't kill anything. Um, I had a three year old buck that was in the 140s. I could have shot and let him go and, um, Ended up with nothing, which is fine. I'm I'm good with that. I would rather eat a tag and hunt all season than kill something I don't really want to kill. So yeah, absolutely. So
0: I mean, you're you're able to practice some kind of QDM, right? I mean, you're able to pass certain bucks in hopes that they show up the next year. Is that something that happens on your property? I mean, if you pass a two year old, are you going to see him the next year? I know, and I know that's a difficult question to answer because of you know of of some of the properties that you hunt, but I mean, if you pass a if you pass a deer, are you seeing them the next year or even two
1: years? Most two year olds will will do it because they they're just their home range is so much smaller. It seems like around where I hunt. Okay, a uh, two year old's a lot easier to hang on to. Uh, the last few years, I've had a little trouble with three year olds moving out during the rut for some reason, and then. And when the, you know, there, for the instance, this year, there's one that's, uh, he's four now, but as a three-year-old last year on September 25th was the last picture I got of him and he didn't come back till January 2nd. Okay. So this year I've had pictures of him in early September and then he disappeared. And then again, early October, I got one picture of him, which gives me a little hope. Maybe he's going to stick around, but I, I haven't been in to really check cameras. I got one wireless camera and that's where I got the picture of him on. That's the only reason I know he's been there. But I haven't been into check cameras for a little while. Just I haven't hunted by too many of them. So gotcha. So,
0: I mean, you're you're able to you're able to see some some growth, or maybe watch a buck evolve on on the properties you
1: hunt, right? In some cases, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the last three bucks I've killed have been I've had at least three years worth the pictures of them or seen them, you know, in those three years too. So cool. So you so mentioned so kind of need to put the pictures together and see the timeline of how they change.
0: Oh, absolutely! That's one of my favorite things about running trail cameras is watching oh, yeah. you know, and flipping through. Like this year, I don't even know how much time I've actually spent on 2018 pictures. I know I have a buck, and then I'll go back and and try to find him in 2000 and, uh, in my 2017 pictures. So
1: now, yeah,
0: right. Something I find interesting, and I think I see this on my properties every once in a while. You said something about the three-year-olds are moving off your property come fall. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think the buck I was talking about earlier, that's four and a half now. Um, The buck I killed last year, I believe, was six years old. And I know as a year before, what I think he was five years old, he had a busted main beam, so he's, I'm guessing, a little bit aggressive, and it just kind of, for a couple of years, I had some older bucks that were antler-wise kind of turds, and I think they were just more aggressive deer, and maybe that shoved them out. I'm not 100% on that. It's kind of speculation. Now, both of those deer are dead. I killed one, and a neighbor killed another, so it'll be interesting to see what happens as the fall progresses this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that you know one of these better bucks in the neighborhood that has moved off as a three-year-old will, will come back. I get them all back in the winter just because I plant some food plots with winter food. And so it's interesting. I I keep them through the winter and in the spring and part of the summer, and then they disappear again. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it has to do with, you know, other dominant bucks in the area that are calling at home. Yeah. that just aren't spectacular ant- antler-wise. Right.
0: And that's one thing about my farm is my farm is the hot spot for summer, like their summer habitat, man. I just feel that right. they – they hang out on the farm that i hunt but fall comes right they go hardhorn they make a shift and then yeah. the crops come out and they make another shift and it's just like the I, I don't know what why it is because it's really good cover in certain uh parts of the farm but yeah i'm i'm just i i always think about that right i think about what is making these deer get up and go someplace else? And it's probably because the neighbors have a lot of food on their property once the crops, you know, once the crops come out or once they go right. hardhorn, they're smart enough to you know, to hey, if I want to survive, I just have to cross this fence. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So how many acres of food plots do you have?
1: A uh, total of about six and a half.
0: Six and a half. What do you and you said you plant winter plots? What do you typically plant in?
1: I've got right now, I've got about total out of the six and a half acres. There's about two acres of it is clover, which is, I just leave it clover year round. And then, uh, what I planted this year, I planted some, the deer radishes and then the rest of it is in turnips and rape mixed. And then I've got 12 acres of tillable land as well that they farm that the fields are it's like two blocks of field connected with a smaller strip and they're just really irregular. So what they do is they farm the nice straight open rows and all the little nooks and crannies is what I do all my food plots in. Oh, cool. And, uh, when they, it's standing corn right now, when they shell the corn, I'm going to have them leave an acre and a half of corn as well. Last year I left two acres of beans.
0: So you just end so, up, you end up buying that out from them.
1: Yeah. Just once the farmer goes to, pick the crop you know whatever it averages acre wise i know how much we're leaving behind and uh, we do it on shares now they pay me a third they keep two thirds so i pay them for their two thirds that they would have gotten if they picked those acre and a half two acres
0: oh okay so let's say and this is just for uh, numbers reasons so if you get a hundred dollars for an acre of crops you pay them back 66 bucks out of that
1: when no, I say the crop when it's picked was $300 an acre, they give me a third, which would be that $100. And their two-thirds would be $200.
0: Okay. I got that you. Makes sense. Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right. So you got you, you got some food on your property. Now, when, yeah. the, when the gun season hits, uh, do you see the deer just kind of come into your property from all the outside yeah, pressure? Yeah.
1: Yeah, once the gun season starts picking up, I start seeing new deer especially, and then when the, the cold weather comes, that's when I really start noticing it. Gotcha,
0: yeah, and then they just they stay there until the food's gone?
1: Pretty much stay there till the food's gone, which last year with all of what I said I had planted with the two acres of soybeans, by January the 15th it was all gone. <laughs> so
0: they found it and crushed yeah. it.
1: They found it and just, yeah, totally demolished it. There was, we hunted New Year's Day. Me and a friend of mine went to hunt. and There was a new buck that showed up on Cameron Christmas Eve, and we went in to try to see if we could locate him, which we didn't, but uh, every other buck showed up except for him, I think. And that night we saw pushing 60 deer, 25 of which were bucks. Wow. Yeah, just feeding in the beans. They just poured into the beans and spent all evening there, so.
0: Man, that's nuts. That that right there is the power of a great food plot late season, man.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so yeah, there's good. So
0: this year, this upcoming season, I mean, do you have a buck on trail camera or that you have past experience with that you're you're going after this year?
1: I've got two really. Uh, one is the one I was talking about earlier. That's a four and a half year old. I call him Ed. And he's a four-and-a-half-year-old, 10-point, kind of narrow but tall and would probably go 150, 155, probably closer to 150, I would say. Okay. And um, he is the one that disappeared in September last year and didn't come back till January. And then I've gotten one October picture of him this year. Uh, the other buck is kind of a ghost all through early season, and he shows up in December. And he should be five-and-a-half this year. And last year as a four and a half, he was an eight pointer that was knocking on one fifty so unless unless Ed would come around or something bigger than Ed, I'll probably be waiting until late season and hoping the other i call him nuts i hope hoping nuts shows up in December, and I can put a move on him somehow, so it's kind of a roll of dice and a little bit of a gamble, but he's a pretty good eight pointer so
0: Right. Yeah. Well, a 150 class 8 pointer. You kidding me? That's gigantic. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like
1: the it's kind of like the buck of my dreams. I've always wanted a really big 8 pointer. There he is. So, I don't know where he lives. I've spent countless hours the last two summers trying to find him in a bean field somewhere and I've never seen him in a bean field in the summertime. Um I don't I haven't gotten pictures of him at all since I think March the 29th was the last picture I had of him and He's not been there at all this summer. I'm hoping come late November, early December, we get some cold weather and it pushes him in, and I can try to figure out a way to, to get him. So.
0: Yeah, well, man, that'd be awesome. I hope I hope you can uh, I hope you can get a crack at him. All right, so oh yeah, it'd be nice. So you've been fairly successful o- over the you know the, your hunting career. What would you say from from 2017 to when have you seen the most success like the last 10 years, the last 12 years?
1: Um, in the last 10 years, really, yeah. Okay, uh, 2007, I killed my first really good buck. He grosses 158 nets, 142. He's got some broken tines and some trash, but and that's kind of what started the drive to just kill those kind of deer. You know, it was a really good one, real heavy mass, tall tines, kind of narrow, but just a really solid deer. And, Uh, just gave me the cravings for more so ever since then I've just strived to let them get older and learn as much as I can about them, and try to figure out how I can keep killing more of them
0: yeah absolutely so talk to me a little bit about some of the things and I know that's it's been a while but uh, you said 2007 right yep okay so what did you change back then to, to harvest that buck I mean was there a change where before before that this all started were you uh it's brown it's down guy were you you know just shooting any buck that walked by or did you have like what what I want to know is the change in you what changed in you that made you want to start shooting these bigger bucks?
1: well prior to that I had shot a handful of three and a half and two and a half year old bucks that were decent deer and like I say once I got the bigger one, I just I wanted more of those so the main thing I think more than anything is just patience you know if you see that deer that's tempting but not quite what you're after just be willing to not draw the bow back and shoot him that makes a big difference because if if you shoot that deer in Indiana we can only kill one buck so if you shoot that deer you're done so I learned then that the biggest thing probably is just to be patient and just watch that deer try to learn what you can from them on what they do where they're going why they're going there and try to apply it to something else and you know wait for the better buck to come and do the same thing with him and possibly get a shot so okay
0: and then was there any different type of strategy that you put out there instead of i mean you know because a lot of guys they they're content with doing what you were doing right shooting those two year olds and and those three-year-olds and then they say to themselves hey I want to uh I want to I want to shoot bigger deer but they don't want to change anything about what they're doing did you did you change any strategy to to take it to that next level
1: I started focusing a little more on access how to get in and out of places um Paying way more attention to the wind and then just when it comes to scouting, trying to, if you find a good bed, you know, a good buck bed or find a set of sheds in a bed or something like that, try to figure out why they're there and then just try to think more of how they think and why they're doing what they're doing and start approaching it kind of from that angle. You know, a couple of the deer I've killed that have been nice have just been in your normal rut pinch point. Um, couple of them have been you know outsmarting them a little bit too, so it's but more than anything, it's probably been just watching my access watching my scent control. I've kind of took that over the top a little bit, uh not as far as you could go, probably, but I do practice very good scent control, and I think that makes a difference
0: okay what is it what specifically about your uh scent control regimen have you changed up?
1: Uh used to. I would wash my clothes in scent-free soap. I'd take a shower in scent-free soap, but a lot of times I'd put my clothes on, jump in the truck, and go to the woods. Um, now I wash all my clothes in scent-free soap. I do have an Ozonics, so I give it an ozone bath every time I wear it. Um I do use the Ozonics in the woods as well. And all my clothes, after I give them an ozone bath, I put them in a airtight tote, and that stays in the truck. In the bed, and then when I get to the woods, I'll pretty much strip down to my underwear and totally change clothes, everything, and then go in. And that, I think, makes a pretty good difference on just residual scent being left behind. Yeah.
0: So, Ozonics, right? Talk to me a little bit about what your first experience with Ozone was like. And not necessarily just about the Ozonics brand, but I mean Ozone. Like what made you first off want to try it? And then once you did try it, what, what did you like about it?
1: I'd heard a lot about them. You know, I listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff and heard, heard quite a bit about them and it was contemplating it. And, uh, it's kind of a sad story, but a friend of mine had a brother who had passed away and they were, the neighbors were on vacation. So nobody found him for like seven days. And I guess he was pretty ripe as far as that goes. And, when I was talking to my friend whose brother had passed away, we had went to the house to just check it out. And cause he lived right next door to him and I went in, this was a few days after that all this had been cleaned up and you couldn't smell anything. And I asked him, I said, how'd they get that out of here? You know, that the whole place had to smell and he said, they put an ozone unit in here and let it run for 24 hours or 48 hours. And it got rid of all that smell. And that was the light bulb that said, Hmm, if it'll do that, it's gotta be able to help me. So that's when I was like that day, I actually ordered mine and got it and started using it then. And uh, as far as hunting goes, it's, I, I think it's a game changer. It, it, if used properly, you know, with if your scent control on your body is and your clothes is pretty good. And then combine that with the Ozonics in the tree and you got, well, it's not a strong gusty wind, you know, if it's a steady six, seven, eight mile an hour wind, they're almost unbeatable. I've had, numerous deer walk downwind of me. And the most I've seen any one of them do is pick their head up and look around like something wasn't quite right. And then they just go back to feeding.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's good for you, right?
1: Yeah. I, I definitely like it. I'd pack it everywhere I go. So I've even set <laughs> on the ground before and put it on a tree above me just so it's working there while I'm sitting on the ground.
0: Absolutely. Cool, man. Anything else about your scent regimen, uh, specific, specifically that you changed, that you
1: think is, um,
0: I mean, part of the reason?
1: As far as, well, as far as being on my property, uh, year-round, I wash all my clothes, even my work clothes, my church clothes, everything in scent-free soap. And I did that part partly because I'm on my property, not a bunch, but enough that the deer, I think, know who I am. And, you know, sometimes I'm in there in the winter filling a feeder. Once the season's out, we can feed. So I'll run a feeder through the winter as well. So you go in there and do that. They have to smell me You check cameras. They have to smell you around there. So I got to where I got to thinking, you know, if I'm doing that with, you know, downy freshness on all my clothes and then come gun season or deer season, all that changes to now I'm a scent free kind of guy. It's a totally different smell. I figured that might be like a new person showed up and, you know, Brian's gone and now this new guy showed up. So I started year round. I treat all my or wash all my clothes and even take a shower and scent free soap and all year round that way no matter what if i'm out there through the whole rest of the year when they're not so much bothered and deer season rolls around and they catch a whiff of me maybe it's not as alarming gotcha
0: now you also mentioned access right and for for someone who maybe is new to hunting or hasn't taken that next step to me it's one of the biggest reasons you're not seeing deer right and yeah by far yeah so why don't you talk to us about what you did to change access routes or work on your access game so to speak
1: uh more than anything just try to hunt locations that are accessible with the right winds um there's one stand a new stand i hung this year that actually i hunted saturday morning and the the easy way would be to walk in the edge of the field to a fence row, turn and go straight down the fence row and a hundred yards into the woods and climb up into the tree. Yeah. And that puts the wind that you got to hunt it with the North wind, So up. It's the wind at my back walking in. So to avoid that this summer, I went in after I hung the stand and I took a pair of pruners basically, and just made a path down to this big Creek bottom. And then all the way along the Creek and come back up another fence row to get in and out. So like Saturday morning, when I went in, I walked down the one fence row and then turn and go, 600 yards across through the woods right along the creek where deer shouldn't be in the dark in the morning and then turn and come up to the stand and you know crawl up in it so instead of just walking through where where the deer are at the time you're going in or coming out and then same thing with that stand to leave it of an evening if i go in to hunt it of an evening i would go in the fence row right you know with the wind at my back straight in because the deer bed east and west But then to get out of it, once the deer are all up in the food plots or the ag fields, which is where I'm walking through to get there, then I would go through the woods down by the creek and around and back out. So you're just not blowing deer out of there, out of where they're feeding of a night when you're walking out. Yeah. And then the river bottoms where I hunt down there, um, the river, it borders the Wabash River and right along, all along that, if I hunt the river side of things, I just go straight into the river and drop down over the bank and basically walk just over the bank to where any deer can be there and you can walk right by them and they don't even know you're there. And I'll walk down into where my stand is and then I pop up and come right back into it. On the other side, when I hunt that, there's a slough that kind of runs through there that's just, it's only about four feet lower in elevation than everything else. But if you get in that and walk in with the weed cover and stuff, they don't even know you're there. Right. I've literally gotten in a stand before and from the stand, look over and there'll be deer 60 yards from me laying there. Didn't even know I'm around. Yeah.
0: That's big. That's huge.
1: Oh, no, very, very big,
0: man. I tell you what, I got some, I got some crick systems that I walk in and it's, it's not that I'm even lower than the bank. It's just a smaller crick, but I'm three. Yeah. I'm, I appear three or four foot shorter than right. if I was walking yeah. on the flat ground. And, Man, I'm telling you, that's a huge thing.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. So,
0: definitely. And, you know, not only that, but it reduces your scent path, too, because you're walking in water or a place where the deer aren't traveling. It's not like they're going to cut right. your, cut your trail.
1: And, if, and a lot of times, those, you know, like the slough I walk, it's it's normally not got water in it, but it's void of weeds where it has had water in it. So it's just bare dirt, and you're, you're not rubbing against any weeds or anything to leave that scent behind, and you can just scoot right in and out pretty quiet and quickly and shimmy up in a tree, and nothing knows you're around. Absolutely.
0: All right, so other than those things, access and scent control, what other, what other things from a strategy standpoint maybe did you change, or have you evolved on from the time that you changed?
1: um more than anything when you watch deer try to figure out you know if you see a mature buck and he travels somewhere different than where the most of the other deer you saw that evening or that morning why and you know what what made him be over there um the buck i killed in 2015 i had sit in a stand and saw like 14 deer that night a couple two-year-old bucks or smaller bucks and then two four-year-old bucks and all the other deer walked within 30 yards of me and these other two skirted by me at like 65 yards and it just made me wonder why and I to this day I can't tell you why I know I reacted on it and that day we had a southeast wind which was right for that spot the next day we had a southwest wind so I hunted a different area but that night it was supposed to switch back to southeast so at 9:30 at night I loaded everything up and went down in there and rehung another set and the next morning crawled in it a half hour after daylight put an arrow in that deer awesome. awesome so and walk walking pretty much the same trail i seen him on two nights before so it just you know reacting to it. instead of sitting there wondering why they're over there and staying where you're at and seeing another one do it and wonder why he's over there i just started reacting to it because they're doing things a little differently than most of the deer so make a change and make a move on the deer you're trying to hunt not the not the general population
0: right and that's a big thing for some guys right i mean the right. the and i it's one thing that i had to learn over the years was this this idea of i can sit where i'm at and i can hope he comes by or i can go make a move right and that was like right. that was the birth of me becoming mobile um was it right. was it hard for you to I break that I guess break that trend for, of sitting in the same spot and and basically when you see fresh sign or you have um you have knowledge of a deer being in a specific area whether it's from trail camera pictures or actually seeing him from the stand did you was it hard for you to say I gotta get down and I gotta move over there
1: oh no once once I uh started kind of realizing what was going on and figuring it out that you know if if they're over there i need to be over there then it was pretty pretty easy i do use uh, a lone wolf climber as well as i got a lone wolf hang on with the the climbing sticks i got a set of seven sticks so if the climber won't fit in it i'll go in with the set of sticks and hang a stand above it and do it that way so as far as being mobile i think it's definitely a benefit now most of my places i do hunt the same areas or maybe year to year, I'll shift the stand a little bit. Um, I've got a daughter that hunts as well now. So this year I tried to hang a bunch of climbing sticks with stands above them just to leave there. And that way if she wants to hunt and I go in w- with her. I can just pack my lone wolf, hang on, go up first, hang mine on crawling and she can crawl in behind me. So that was a little bit of a motivation there to just hang more stands. So. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so, I mean, mindset, did your mindset change at all? Uh, I mean, it, it has to, right?
1: Right. It has to. And like I say, the biggest part there is probably just patience. You know, if if you see that buck that is almost good enough, but he's not quite, it, it takes some willpower to not pick up the bow and shoot him. Yeah. So it's, that was a, a little bit of a hurdle to get over. Um, You know, I can remember the first 440 inch deer I passed, I thought I was crazy. And then, you know, you just, once you do it the first time, then it's just much easier the second. And then it's easier to, you know, let the three-year-olds go and something that's going to be a really good buck someday if he makes it. It's, it's worth the risk to me to go ahead and let him go and hope they make it to the next year. So I got something I do want to hunt instead of shooting something I really didn't want to shoot, but still as a nice deer. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had an example of maybe passing a, passing a big deer and then you're like, Oh God, I can't wait to see him next year. But then a, he doesn't return or B, you know, your neighbor shot him.
1: Uh, yeah, there's been a few times where you let a pretty good deer go and you know, like a three-year-old that you're hoping to get to four and, uh, you know, a week or so later you get a picture of him with somebody sitting behind him. And that's, that's part of it. You know, it's part of hunting around people. I, if I was fortunate enough to own 2000 acres, then that wouldn't happen as often, but
0: <laughs> I don't,
1: <laughs> I own 70 acres, you know, so it's, it's a little harder to do. So, but yeah, it's definitely happened. And, you know, as long as whoever kills the deer is happy, I'm happy. Uh, it, it, it'd it be nice to see them get older if they don't, you know, and whoever shot the deer is, is tickled and I'm tickled for them. Um, the biggest gripe I got on that is the, the people that consistently shoot two and a half year old deer and then are asking where the mature bucks are and kind of like, you know, if you quit killing them when they're little, they'll be mature someday. Yeah. it's but, math, You know, you're right? going to have that no matter where you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Cool, man.
0: So anything else you feel over the years that has, has contributed to your success as, you know, as a bow hunter?
1: Um, just being persistent you know, put put the hours in the stand and um, just keep grinding on. No matter how bad it sucks, just keep going. You, you can't kill them from the couch. And the the two years I talked about, thirteen and fourteen, I like think it was. I didn't kill a buck. I hunted those seasons from start to finish. I mean, I, the last day of season, both those years, I was in a tree stand of an evening. You know, hoping I could catch I catch something coming out to a to a food plot and or a field. You know, to feed. Even though on camera all season long, 2013 especially, I never had a picture of a buck I wanted to kill all season long, but I still hunted the season, the whole entire season hoping something would show up. So persistence, persistence and patience. Yeah.
0: Yep. What do they say? It's like, uh, um, success is when luck meets opportunity.
1: Right. Or something
0: like that. Yeah. I don't know if that, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. If you, you know, like I say, you can't kill them from the couch. So if you're willing to go and put the time in a stand and, you know, even during the rut, I'll sit all day. And there's, there's been times before one day I sat in a tree stand all day, daylight till dark. And the only deer I saw was 15 minutes before dark. Wow. So most people would have gave up at, you know, 10 o'clock and been out of there and gone home or something. But I sit there all day and waited and waited and waited. And the buck I saw was a nice deer. He just wasn't big enough and ended up letting him go. But
0: right right well my friend you got a kid now right
1: I'm i got two daughters two yeah. daughters
0: all right what are their ages
1: yeah uh the oldest one's 17 youngest is 13
0: okay now does the 17 year old one go out with you or is she's too cool for hunting
1: well she's not a hunter she does like her dad but uh she's not she's She's very animal friendly. So if there's a spider in the house, she'll scoop it up with a cup and throw it outdoors instead of killing it. (laughs) Um, She doesn't, she doesn't mind eating what we bring home, but she's not one to just go out and kill it. Gotcha. So now my, my 13 year old, she's a hunter. She's been hunting with me since she was eight now. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. She,
0: she likes it.
1: Oh, she loves it. Yeah. She She really does. Has she had the opportunity to harvest a deer yet? She's killed four now. She just killed her fourth one a week ago tonight.
0: Oh, cool. With a bow or a crossbow, muzzleloader? The,
1: the first two she killed was with a crossbow uh, just because she couldn't pull legal weight to hunt with a regular bow. And then the third one she killed was with a, just a .44 Magnum rifle. Yeah. And then the one she shot this year was with an actual bow and arrow. So. Awesome.
0: And is she bit by yeah. it? or?
1: Oh, yeah. She she. She thoroughly enjoys it. She wants to go like Monday when she shot that deer, it was 90 degrees. When we took off, I got off work and she was already home from school. And I called and said, Hey, you want to go hunting? She said, yeah. I said, have your clothes ready when we get there and we'll go. And when I got there, she was standing on the porch waiting on me, you know? So
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: She definitely wants to go. And, and now that she's shot the one with the bow, I mean, she's seen the you know, practicing all summer. It was a 21 yard shot, quarter away. And she just drilled it, you know? Right. So it's just a doe, but, um, She's, she's seen the hard work of practicing all summer pay off, and uh, I think it won't be hard to get her back in a tree stand again here and do it again. So Absolutely.
0: Now, as a parent, right, how, yep. how does your season change when you know that your daughter wants to come out with you?
1: Um, not a ton. It does a little just because a lot of times to get her out there we hunt after school and work a lot of times. So it's kind of just get into some low impact spots and try to get in and out, you know, where you're just, you're saving time. You know, I I try to set up some stands where we might be able to park and only walk a hundred yards and crawl up in a tree, but the truck's not close enough to bother anything. So, um, and then depend upon the weather, you know, if it's a rainy, loomy really cold day she's not gonna to want to sit out there so those are the days i go on my own if it's a a nice day and we can make it work then i'm more than happy to drag her along i i probably get more enjoyment out of watching her uh be successful than i do being successful myself so
0: cool man well
1: yeah it's pretty awesome
0: i tell you what here's uh me wishing you and your daughter good luck this year and uh i just want to say thanks you You as well thanks for taking time to hop on the podcast and bs with me for a while
1: no problem anytime man
0: and there you have it ladies and gentlemen huge shout out to brian i appreciate your time huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen and download make sure you guys are going and checking out the new website sportsmensnation.com there you will find all of the podcasts that we put out Right, we have a bear hunting podcast Uh, we're going to have a fishing podcast coming up we're going to have a waterfowl podcast coming up we have everything kind of split right now between big game and whitetails more content is coming your way we're growing and it's awesome and uh, that just means more hunting content from the average joe coming your way uh don't get me wrong we have some uh you know some quote unquote celebrities every once in a while we have some uh professional hunters or whatever you want to call them on there as well talking hunting and fishing strategy we also have blog articles that you need to check out right uh we have we have our first recipe up online now so go check out sportsmansnation.com s-p-o-r-t-s-m-e n s sportsmensnation.com uh, and go leave a review on itunes or wherever you download this podcast uh, I, re- I would really appreciate that huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast exodus trail cameras wasp broadheads lone wolf tree stands deer lab trail camera software prime archery ripcord arrow rest those last two i'm really looking forward to using this year especially compared with the wasp and the lone wolf all of it all of it and the ozonics and the hunter safety systems huge shout out to all those brands for supporting the nine finger chronicles man without those companies i wouldn't be doing this so huge shout out to them huge shout out to my wife and kids for letting me sit in this dumbass office for as long as i do putting together this awesome podcast uh and just brings me like this community that we're building it's growing and growing and growing so definitely spread the word other than that if you're going to be in a tree this time of year which i know a majority of you are don't be a dumbass please our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us all wear your damn safety harness see you friday